and welcome to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. This podcast is produced by the Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Field Agricultural Engineering Team. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Brian Doherty, Field Agricultural Engineer with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach, and we're venturing into the water for today's podcast. We're going to focus on water quality and some innovative equipment that can be used to clean up our ponds, lakes, and streams. My guest today is Tara Lordy. Tara is the owner and CEO of a company called We Do Green Boat Incorporated, a company that manufactures amphibious work equipment. Tara, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on today. Thank you, Brian. I'm grateful for you having me. It's exciting. So just kind of set the stage here a little bit. Most of our listeners are typically from the Midwest and guests we've had on previously, but I suspect you have a bit of a different background. So to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're located and how you got into your current line of work? Well, sure. Yeah, I grew up in the Northeast, actually, New York. I grew up in the Catskill Mountains. Um, Very beautiful, only about an hour from New York City. So I had you know, this beautiful city, but yet I grew up in the mountains where there's flowing rivers and nature is around you. It's called the Hudson Valley. I grew up there. I was a show jumper. I rode horses. I started off my career. Uh, My father uh, owned a a medical company. So I started off my career kind of helping, you know, the parents run the, the companies. And then I went into banking in New York, disqualification logic, and I started going off on my entrepreneurial uh, trail. Um, I met my husband. Um, He's from Toronto, also grew up similar to myself uh, being um, in the Northeast. You know, we would find any cliff and jump off and into natural waterways or bridges or you'd swim in lakes or you canoe or you whitewater raft or you do anything that's outdoorsy. And collectively, we um, came to a conclusion, uh, he before I, and then he introduced me to these signs that we started seeing in in the lakes. And these signs would say, no swimming for 24 hours. Well, why? And then you would see the contents of the herbicides they were spraying. So with that said, obviously scary, very scary. We realized that fish can't read. And uh, and that's kind of where my background started to dovetail into what we're doing today. And hence, We Do Green Boat was born about uh, 15 years ago. You also have, you mentioned your banking background. You've also done a little bit of work in the construction industry, I would say, with the building information modeling. Can you just talk a bit about that and how that kind of ties into what you're doing now? Sure. So, as you know, today we use a lot of um, qualifying tools. You could go to a search engine to find a flight, for example. Um, You would say, I want to go from New York to LA, and you would get uh, a search engine to give you a subset of choices, right? It's not really the, in that that particular arrangement. They're not giving you your choices. They're disqualifying what won't work. And so I took that approach into the banking world on the secondary market. So if you're Bank of America and you want to buy mortgage pools from a smaller bank, um, you may audit a few of those files um, and you might luck out or you might not. I developed software that would allow you to use disqualification logic. So I disqualified what would be outside of their parameters. If you take it to a normal person, if you go to a restaurant, you look at a menu, you actually don't pick out probably what you want. You start to disqualify what you don't want to give you a subset of data of what you want. So that's really what I focus a lot of my career on. I feel that artificial intelligence is great, um, but I feel very strongly that 
Computers can't take over. Uh, they can make an existing process more efficient, but be careful with using it to create a new process. Great. So your company manufactures equipment that's used for aquatic plant removal. And so for the listeners that probably haven't seen one of these before, I guess I would describe it as basically a boat with a, a skid steer bucket on the front of it. So would you say that that's a fair description of the WeDo? And can you tell us a little bit more about what the WeDo is and how it works? Absolutely. And it's a great description. It's like a skid steer for the water. So back in the day, they would have these huge barge-like harvesters. And they would use these harvesters to assist in waterway cleanup, whether it be plastics, invasive weeds, what have you, anything that would be considered um, a conflict. And these large harvesters um, are very difficult to get into the water and they are expensive and you have to have cranes and so forth. We develop what I would basically call the Ferrari of, of harvesters in the fact that it's 12 feet long. Um, it operates front end loaders, sickle bar cutters that are mounted behind the operator. Um, it has um, silt and sediment removal tools. We can interchange attachments like you would on a skid steer. And what's the purpose of this? Um, shoreline waterway cleanup. Why is that important? Most of your invasive weeds hang out on the shore all the way up to six to eight feet deep. So you want to be able to get a vessel that can go as little as two feet and operate successfully so that you can get these invasive weeds or garbage cleanup or whatever you're, you're targeting. And you want to be able to change out your attachments just like you would on a skid steer so that you could do a multitude of different jobs in a efficient time because people are either hiring you or you're working on your own and time is money. And so we developed um, a lightweight shoreline harvester that is affordable, that is efficient. It runs on a Kubota 25 horsepower engine. We have the ability to pick up 500 pounds a minute. You want to quantify that, that's over 100 tons a day. So that's substantially huge amount of debris you can remove. And we attribute this power to our propulsion system. We have this wonderful propulsion system using our Kubota engine and hydraulics. Um, we have a propeller system that allows you to get through mats of weeds instead of getting bogged down like a typical outward. Uh, we've developed this so that you can slice and dice and get through this. And the propulsion does allow you to move these large amounts of masses, either pushing it or removing it. And that's very important. Yeah, sounds like something I could use for water skiing on the Mississippi, maybe. <laughs> the Pearl River, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, a lot of your focus is around providing alternatives to pesticide applications, you know, for controlling this aquatic vegetation. So what improvements have you seen in the projects you've done by getting that vegetation removed? So it's important to understand kind of the history here. Originally, as we said, we, we started to see um, an infestation of these invasive aquatic weeds. And originally, people said, well, I'll go in there with pitchforks. And then you had divers and you had large harvesters. And then people started saying, well, let's just nuke it. Let's put up some kind of chemical compound and let's throw that on it. Okay, well, here's the problem. When you spray herbicides onto plant life, I don't care what scientists developed what, the whole goal is to create cellular death, right? So whatever chemical compound you've come up with, you're creating cellular death. Those plant lives are dying in the water they sit in. So then they fall to the bottom of the lake 
or any water body, lake, pond, whatever you're talking about. They fall to the bottom. They sit and they decrease the level of water and increase the heat. And those are two big numbers. So, you know, some scientists will get into it with me and say, no, 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 we developed these herbicides. They're safe and it doesn't hurt aquatic life. Yes, yes, I understand that. But did you take into consideration two things? What does it do when it meets up with the land fertilizers or phosphates or other introductions of things that are going to come into that water, number one? And number two, have you actually measured what happens after two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years? Because what you're going to find is as that debris starts piling up over a course of time, you will lose the depth of your water, as we discussed. And that in itself is dangerous to aquatic life and certainly not what what your goal is. Your goal is to have the lake or water body remain in its intent, which is to be beautiful, luxurious, and having a happy aquatic life with frogs clapping, right? I mean, that's what we want. So when I try to educate people about the problems we're having, I try to get away from fighting the herbicide argument because you'll get one or two people saying, no, 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 it's safe. And and that's where you got to get away from. We're not talking about just herbicides or no, no. Yes, I am a nay sprayer, but herbicides are no, no, for sure. But the herbicides don't take it out. And the objective is get it out of them. And that's what's so important. Yeah. So to follow up on that, I'm curious, once you remove this vegetation, I'm assuming you're loading this up and hauling it away. What are people doing with that? Are there any applications there where you could potentially compost that or turn that into some type of biofertilizer product? So it's a great question. We have found, for one example, I found um, in North Carolina, they were using uh, duckweed. Um, If it hasn't been sprayed with any chemical treatments, um, I've heard that they're using duckweed for cattle feed because it's got a high level of protein. So you can take that duckweed, harvest it responsibly, like I said, with our skimmer bucket or with some type of mechanical harvesting. Uh, They put them in um, some type of manufacturing process where they compress into cubes and then they feed those cubes to the cattle. It's a perfect way to have renewable food source. That's one example. There's many I've I've heard, um, mainly using the aquatic uh, vegetation for food source. Also in the Northeast, I've heard some of the farmers will have me um, give them local people to that are using the the weed to drop off their vegetation. They wrap it around the base of their trees for the frost. That does help as well for insulation. So, yeah, there's lots of ways unless it's been treated. If it's been treated, you know, I'd be very careful because you're just going to cross contaminate. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're based in Florida. Definitely warmer climate, probably more vegetation growth than we get here in the Midwest. So we definitely have our water quality challenges here with algae blooms and things like that. But can you just talk a little bit more about applicability of the of the we do to our Midwestern climate here as far as being used on lakes and rivers in the Midwest? So it's important to understand there's a, a couple different algaes, right? So you have the kind of the red tide, which is something that's actually happened naturally. Uh, It's just dangerous, don't get me wrong. And then we have something here uh, in particular called um, blue-green algae, which is very toxic. Humans have created this by, uh, as we were talking to you about before, let's take, for example, Reedy Creek starts up at the top, works its way down. Um, It hits some cow farms. It'll hit different farmings. It'll hit different homes. Uh, You have runoff, 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 coupled with herbicides. Now, all of a sudden, you have hotter waters. We have a hotter climate right now. We have a hotter planet. And so you've got the heat mixed with a multitude of different chemicals. 
which is causing these toxic blooms. And these toxic blooms are very dangerous, make no mistake. They're extremely dangerous. And this is occurring not just here in the Southeast, this is occurring all over. Whenever you have the introduction of one chemical compound to another that wasn't planned on, be ready because that's where we want to stop it. The only way, in my opinion, uh, for example, the blue green's a little easier because we created it, but the red tide is something, you know, hotter waters, it's just a natural occurrence. The only way you can protect it is to get it out of there and to get it out of there, you need the right attachments. You know, expanded metal that has small orifices where the water can go through, but you can collect the algae, um, putting it in hazmats and getting it out of there safely. You got to get it out because it does cause toxins to your shellfish, to your aquatic life, and certainly to yourself. And there are places throughout the U.S. um, that have popped up on our radar that we're hearing about. Um, It's interesting that I find um, a lot more of this happening where you have a large body of water. And then that body of water is reduced to a smaller chain of water, maybe a small river or a small canal or something where it's, it, it actually leaves a large, goes into a smaller area, and then it builds up thicker. And it's very dangerous and it needs to come out. And it's not something I would even go around without a respirator. It's pretty bad. Yeah. So before the, the show here, we were just talking a bit about, you know, people kind of understanding where their water comes from, especially in more residential areas. Can you expand on that a little bit more and what your approach is there and how you educate people about this? Yeah. Thank you for that question. Um, so it's important as anywhere you live. I, I mean, we, we sell our vessels in 14, over 14 countries now. We're in over 50 percent of the states. I don't care where you live. It's important that you ask yourself the question, where does my water come from? Where is my irrigation water coming from? Where is my drinking water? You want to know your sources of water. And I'll give you an example here in South Florida, actually in the state of Florida. A lot of developers will build a man-made lake either for look and view for the homes they're building or here in the case of Florida, they'll build that lake and then they'll put a large pump in there and they'll use that lake to irrigate the different communities within their development. Well, that would be fine and dandy if the homeowners had a right to say no to herbicides, right? So now let's fast forward. We're going to nuke the lake with herbicides. We're going to then use that very water to irrigate my home, um, where my dogs walk, where my babies walk, where I walk barefoot. I might even perhaps have a garden and I was using the irrigation to assist me with watering my garden. You need to know where your water's coming from. It's so important. Now, there are people that have their own well. Well, that's great. If you have your own well, that's super. Make sure you know what's going into your grass. Make sure you know what's going into your runoff of your well. That's just as important. But in particular, with what I've learned, I think everyone should have the right, if they live in a, in a planned community, to be able to say where and how are you irrigating if you're not irrigating from the city or in the municipality. If you're irrigating our land from a body of water, we want testing done to that water and we want to have the right to, uh, to, to know how they're treating that water because that is impacting you negatively. It's causing cellular death. I don't want it on my skin. <laughs> I don't know who would want that. 
I was just uh, reading some news articles and it looks like that your equipment's been used for cleaning up fish kills and even been involved in some rescue efforts. Is that something that you anticipated happening, you know, when you designed this equipment? I've been doing animal rescue for a good part of my adult life. If you unfortunately have, say, for example, a deer that's passed on in your lake, you can come up with a front end loader and you can use it to remove it. Um, the fish kill, very important. You put the skimmer bucket on and you can remove um, the decaying fish, which is very, very unsightly as well as you know a horrendous smell. The boat was originally designed for aquatic weed removal. And then we started developing other attachments, which allowed us to go into different sectors and understand different problems. Um, we really built this company because of our clients. It's our clients that help uh, that help shape our research and development. Where do we want to go? This is a problem I'm facing. Can you make an attachment to do that? The animal rescue is great because sometimes you'll run into a situation where, like for example, when a hurricane comes to Texas, they feed their cattle, but they can't get to the cattle because there's water and then there's land. So we bring our amphibious model to give them a hand and bring out hay until the water dries up enough. Yes, that's kind of an offshoot of something that I was passionate about. But yeah, I mean, this equipment, because of the attachments, has so many different applications. And when people call us on a daily basis, I said, yep, we can do that. I, I totally understand what, what you're facing. And as long as it, you know, I can put hydraulic fluid in it, I can make an attachment, I can make use electric to make an attachment, um, or simply just give it a good old skimmer bucket and attach it. It's super cool. That one. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So uh, just kind of wrapping up here, is there anything else that we didn't get to that you'd like to touch on about the we do or your company? So we do is doing better than I could ever imagine. We we are doing really, really well. Um, I'd like to gain more momentum into the educational side so that people do understand what we do to impact our waters. Don't grab your aquarium plants and put them in your lakes so that you can have better fishery. Please don't do that because it really is what's creating, you know, your common problems that you're having. Uh, some of the most popular weeds that you're going to face um, in your area, Eurasian milfoil, water milfoil, basically came out of tanks. You have coontail, wild cherry, bladderwort, curly leaf, uh, pondweed, tidrilla, um, all of these different types of weeds probably were introduced either by human or bird, and they don't belong there, and they're invasive for a reason. I'm going to play off of Kennedy a little bit, JFK a little bit, you know, and, it, and he said, you know, don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I'm going to turn that a little bit and say, you know, figure out what you can do for your planet. Don't just live off of this planet. Let's see what we can do for our planet. So look around, ask questions. Pick up the gum, you know, wrapper that you see on the ground. Be careful with your waterways. It's one of our most important natural resources. Be responsible and ask, 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 ask questions as much as you can about what's surrounding you. And when you do, you might find yourself in a better place after asking and probing and trying to better serve your own community. It's our responsibility to give back to the planet. And I think that we need to push that agenda just a wee bit harder. And I'm just taking my little baby steps to do it. Yeah, that's great. I love your philosophy there. We can all certainly do our part to help improve our water quality. Tara, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today and sharing your thoughts on cleaning up our lakes and streams. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
Uh, you can find more information and some videos of the We Do in action at wedoboats.com. That's W-E-E-D-O-O boats.com. And I will post a link to that in the show notes as well. Thanks for joining us today on the Engineering Your Farm podcast. Mm-hmm.